if you're not there already from what Whit read, I would love for you to be able to look at the scripture, um, Numbers 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can listen carefully today, and we would love to get you a Bible uh, if you don't have one. There's a lot of good uh, plans that you can look at for, you know, things like reading the Bible in a year. Um, If you like recommendations on stuff like that, by all means, you could contact me or one of the elders and we can get that to you. Um, But Numbers 25, and this, this is the third consecutive week that we're in Numbers even if we do a book at Crossway and there's like, even if there's a hundred sermons in the Gospel of John or Hebrews or something, I want every sermon to be also independent. So it's not, it's not dependent on last week. The reason we've been in Numbers, I would just remind you, is because of Christmas, chapter 24, verse 17 Twenty-four seventeen speaks of the Messiah. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So that's a Christmas passage, we might say. Uh, Numbers twenty-four seventeen, and today we just continue. But again, it's a, also a standalone sermon. Numbers 25, for everybody who's physically able, let's stand for prayer. After prayer, we'll continue to stand and read Scripture together. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning. In these moments, O Lord, our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallow your name among us. Lord, we would see Jesus. So we pray that you would show us Christ. Please help us. Help me. Help us even now through the Holy Spirit. Lord, give much clarity, simplicity, Boldness, Lord, let your word go forth with sanctifying power, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's remain standing. Look at Numbers 25, verse 10. Numbers 25, 10, and the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to, and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house, belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kazbai, the daughter of Zur, 
who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. You can be seated. Thank you. By the way, uh, Pastor Ray, that makes two elders who are goofballs. I'm with you all the way. No shame in that. The title, uh, dear friends, the title for the sermon this morning is this. Ten things about one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I will admit it is surprisingly one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And I want to show you why I think Numbers 25, our text this morning, is just that. Ten things about one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. You ready? Number one. Number one. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Number one is flee from idolatry. So let this be a banner over the message today. This, by the way, comes from Paul. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. And again, let me say, let this be a banner over everything today. Flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. So today, I want to speak to you, listen, I want to speak to you today about a man who brazenly brought a woman that he physically wanted to be with. He brought her into his family's living area and then died while in the act of being intimate with her. Uh, one of my teachers used to use that phrase, um, you know, you're going to do that in front of God and everybody. And it's a funny phrase, but what we see here again is that this man brazenly brought this woman, perhaps she was a harlot, and he uh, brazenly brought her this woman with whom, for whom she, he lusted. A story is told of a wealthy couple who desired to employ a chauffeur. A wealthy couple who desired to employ a chauffeur. The lady of the house advertised. The applicants were screened and four suitable candidates were brought before her for the final selection. She called the prospective chauffeurs to her balcony and pointed out a brick wall alongside the driveway. Then she asked the men, how close do you think you could come to that wall without scratching my car? The first man felt that he could drive within a foot of the wall without damaging the car. The second felt sure that he could come within six inches. The third believed that he could get within three inches. Remember, all of these men are being interviewed to be the chauffeur of a rich couple. The fourth candidate said, I do not know how close I could come to the wall without damaging your car. Instead, I would try to stay as far away from the wall as I could. This candidate had a different focus. He understood that true skill in driving is not based so much on the ability to steer the car to a narrow miss as on the, on the ability to keep a wide margin of safety. You with me? Like the fourth candidate, there are many aspects of human nature, such as sexual temptation, that are best dealt with by keeping a wide margin of safety. Are you with me? When we decide what to do in a doubtful area, such as, get ready for the legalism, 
such as going to a particular movie, we should be as wise as that man. Wise as the fourth man. The fourth man being interviewed to be the chauffeur. I don't care what those other guys said. I don't know how close I could get your car to a brick wall. I do know what I can do is steer it as far away as possible. I was joking about legalism because that's where things start. You let mess into your mind in seemingly innocent ways, and the next thing you know, you're committing sexual immorality. And the worst thing of it all, the worst thing of it all, is that you would turn aside from the living God. That's the worst thing of it all. So ten things about one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Number one, flee from idolatry. Number two, number two, here's what we see today in Numbers 25. Get this, here's what we see. God's wrath is turned away from His sinful people by means of the zeal and piercing of a righteous, faithful man. I'm going to say that again. Here's what you should listen for. You should listen for the idea and the words zeal and atonement. Listen for the words or the idea zeal and atonement. Here's what we're seeing. I'm just, this is my summary of what we're seeing today. Here it is again. This is point number two. God's wrath is turned away from His sinful people by means of the zeal and piercing of a righteous, faithful man. Look at the text again. Numbers 25. Look at this. I've been able to read it this week. You probably, probably hasn't been necessarily on your end of the year reading plan. Look at this very carefully and listen. Numbers 25, verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Numbers 25, verse 4, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Seems like there's a, seems like there's a difference between verses 4 and 5. God says one thing in verse 4. Moses seems to take a little bit of a different approach. It's not good to take a different approach from what the Lord says. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Verse 
the old Charlotte Coliseum is demolished. I think it was demolished in 2007. Um, it used to seat about 24,000 people for a Charlotte Hornets basketball game. Numbers 25-9. You think about a, a Coliseum full at an NBA game. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Number three. Number three, the theme of this passage is immorality and idolatry. The theme of this passage is immorality and idolatry. We're going to be walking through these ten things pretty quickly. And I'm just trying to help us get the big picture. The theme is immorality. In this fallen world in which we live, we live among a people of immorality and idolatry. And here's the thing. We too have participated in these things. As fallen people, we need the wrath of God turned away from us or we die. Surveys repeatedly show that when asked to rate the Ten Commandments in order of importance, when people are asked rank the Ten Commandments in order of importance, they invariably say, Thou shalt not kill is the most important commandment, and Thou shalt have no other gods before me ranks as the least important. You ask the man on the street, What's, rank the Ten Commandments. Well, I would say number one would be most important, you, Thou shalt not kill. The number ten probably, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Our culture clearly regards the things that I do that offend or hurt other people as far more important than anything I may choose to believe or not to believe about God. That's good. This is a quote from Duguid here that I'm reading. Our culture says the things that we do to hurt other people matter more than what we believe or don't believe about God. And we've got it upside down. The Bible, on the other hand, knew what it was doing when it put the first commandment first. When the Bible put the first commandment first, what it was saying was that, listen, the ban on idolatry was the most important, not the least important. What matters more than anything is what you think about God. Because every person is in some sense a theologian. Every person has thoughts about God. That's the most important thing about you. The only question is, are your thoughts about God worthy of Him or not? Are they biblical or are they not? Number four, this is a story about three men. This is a story, Numbers 25, about three men. If you look there, the first man I want to point out to you is in verse 14. Verse 14, 
the name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of father's house, belonging to the Simeonites. If you keep reading in chapters 26 and 27 where there's a census taken, the Simeonites have the greatest decline in their numbers of all of the people. So I'm saying to you, number four, this is a story about three men. As I, as I see this, it's just one way that I think about this. I think about Numbers 25 as a story about three men. First one is Zimri. Now, again, who's Zimri? Well, he's the guy that was so brazen that as the people of God were mourning there at the temple, as they're praying, as they're in great distress, why? Because the Lord's, listen, the Lord's fierce anger has broken out against the people because of their idolatry. He is brazen enough to come right into the camp of God's people in front of God and everybody and to his family's area and to take this, uh, this prostitute. This is Zimri. And he is found out and killed. This story is about three men. Not only is it about Zimri, but it is about a very uh, great example for us who is, you might pronounce it Phinehas. We're just saying Phineas. And so this story is clearly about Phineas. And let me just say that Phineas was, get this, he's the grandson of Aaron. Now we need to know our Bibles. And this story is very similar to the story in Exodus chapter 32, I believe, the story of the golden calf. And let me just very quickly tell you how amazing this is because in Exodus, Moses has been up on the mountain and it's just like, it's awesome. It's like you go to camp. You know, you're a teenager and you go to camp and you have a mountaintop experience. And in Exodus, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and then he comes down, and there's just rank sin among the people. The golden calf. Same thing here. Balaam has been up, literally up on the mountain in 22 through 24, and it's been nothing but glory. Because he hasn't been able to curse the people, he's only been able to bless them over and over again. But when you come down from the mountain, the people are committing sexual immorality and idolatry, which is the worst of the two. And it's very similar. And so in that, back then, you had Aaron, and here you have Aaron's grandson, Phineas, and one clearly responds better than the other. Do you see what I'm saying? Aaron, back in Exodus 32, not only does not stop the people in their wickedness. He goes along with them. Phineas doesn't go along with the people. He stops it. And Phineas' actions stop the plague. So Phineas is the grandson of Aaron. This story is ultimately about three men. Zimri, Phineas, and let's pause and come back to that later. Number five. Okay, number one. Number one, flee from idolatry. Number two, what is this all about today? Number two, what is this all about? God's wrath is turned away from his sinful people by means of the zeal and piercing of a righteous, faithful man. Number three, 
The theme of this text is immorality and idolatry. Number four, this is a story about three men. Number five, this is a story about God. This is a story about God. The whole Bible is about God. Uh, the Old Testament is a wonderful place, God-centered. So you could, if you wanted to break down this passage, you could break it down, verses 1 through 5. Or I'm sorry, verses 1 through 9, and then 10 through 15, and then 16 through 18. This is just for what it's worth, okay? For what it's worth. You could break down Numbers 25, 1 through 10, 1 through 9. I'm going to get this right. 1 through 9, 10 through 15, and then the conclusion, which is still very important, 16 through 18. In each of those three sections that I gave you, there's a word from the Lord in each of those three. That's how you could mark them if you wanted to go back later and just mark it up. One through nine, there is a word from the Lord. Verse four, and the Lord said to Moses, what did he say in verse four? Are you looking at this? I hope you're getting this. The Lord said to Moses, basically he says, you don't have to kill every single person. You need to kill the representatives of the people heads and then what's that next section it's 10 through 15 verse 10 and the Lord said to Moses I'm pleased with this man Aaron's grandson and 16 through 18 which we haven't even read yet look at it 16 through 18 and the Lord spoke to Moses dear friends this is a story about God the Lord spoke to Moses verse 16 saying Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Kazbi, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. Number six. Number six is John chapter two. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. Number six is John chapter two. What can we say about the grandson of Aaron? Who, who's the grandson of Aaron? Phineas. What can we say about him? Man, he was zealous. He was zealous. Listen to John chapter 2. Uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Do you know this story? And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's John chapter 2, John 2, 13 through 17. And at the end it says his disciples remembered Psalm 69, zeal, there it is, ding, 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 zeal for your house will consume me. That Jesus is Jesus is cleansing or clearing the temple. Oh yeah. Psalm 69. Zeal for your house will consume me. John chapter 2. Number 7. Number 7. This is a story about three men. 
I'm getting old, but I do remember that I've already said that once. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Number seven, this is a story about three men, and I mean it. Zimri, Phineas, grandson of Aaron, full of zeal. We just read John chapter 2. This is a story about Zimri, Phineas, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. If ever there was someone who was an example to us as believers, I, I preach regularly, Jesus Christ, dear fellow Christian, is our example. Look now, now, I do have a problem with the bracelets. What would Jesus do? Those are not perfect. There's a, there's a little bit of a problem with those. Uh, but nevertheless, Jesus is an example for believers. If ever there was an example of a perfect life, listen to me, of holy zeal, of loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was full of zeal for God. And so that's why two times in the Gospels, two times, not only in John chapter 2, but then again later, He clears or cleanses the temple. The Lord Jesus Christ ultimately is the third man to which this passage points. Number eight, stay with me, listen, number eight, this passage beautifully leads to the gospel. Now I'm not saying that the New Testament gospel is in all of its full glory right here. What I am saying is that this passage, properly interpreted and understood in its own context, ultimately, ultimately does lead to the gospel. That's why I love this chapter. I love this. I consider it one of the greatest in all of Scripture. Numbers chapter 25. Phineas, full of zeal, an example to us. The Lord Jesus Christ, full of zeal, understood first of all in its original context, but then in the context of the whole Bible, this passage ultimately leads us to the gospel. Let me share with you something. Listen, no one prized the glory of God like Jesus did. Jesus was a true and greater Phineas exhibiting a commitment in his heart and life to the law of God. Let's just make sure we know the story. Just remember the story. The people are weeping at the temple. Oh, the Lord's fierce anger has broken out against us. And then this man Zimri comes brazenly, bringing this harlot, bringing to to consummate this relationship among his family, among the people of God. And then Phineas zealous for the glory of God. Remember, you know the story by now. He goes in with a spear. What's he doing? He's doing doing something barbaric. He's doing something. He's going beyond his limits. No, he's not. He's doing something right for the glory of God. But what I'm reading to you here is that this is a small picture of something greater. While Phineas turned the anger of God from Israel for a time, Only Jesus could make propitiation for sin, satisfying the justice of God. Sinners deserve the wrath of God, and Jesus bore this wrath in their place. 
In his jealousy for God's glory, Christ became the offering acceptable to God so that sinners could live in him. I personally am in full agreement with all of those commentators who make the comment one way or the other. Listen, that Phineas went in and with one spear, it seems pretty clear, with one spear thrust, killed them both at the same time. I am in agreement with those commentators who say that in the gospel, the Lord Jesus doesn't spear his enemies. He takes the spear. But if that's too much for you, if that seems too fanciful, which I submit it is not, then the correlation at the very least is Phineas the priest, Jesus the much greater high priest who lays down his life for the people. But I say both. One man spears appropriately. He goes in and he spears the enemies of God because that's what he was supposed to do. The other man comes and he lays down his life for his friends, for his people, for his chosen ones, for all of God's elect, for all of human history, for everyone who will ever believe, for everyone who will ever repent of their sins. Jesus takes the spear in Himself. This passage ultimately leads to the Gospel. Number nine. Number nine. Let me quote once again from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. If you want to know what the Bible's own commentary on this passage is, well, earlier we read Psalm 106. And there, in beautiful words in Psalm 106, it says, uh, some, basically to the effect of the Lord accounted it as righteousness to Phineas. That's beautiful. Psalm 106, 28 through 31. There's one commentary. If you want to know the Bible's own commentary on Numbers 25, Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. Look at me, men. Look at me, young men, old men, ladies of all age. We must not indulge in sexual immorality. God is holy. We are sinners. God's holy wrath and holy anger breaks out against sinners. You need to listen to the word of God today on the last day of this year. Don't play games with the holy God. We need atonement to be made for us because of our sin. But the greatest problem of all is what we said earlier is that we get the Ten Commandments opposite. The worst thing people say is what you do to other people. That is bad. But the worst thing is that we don't honor God. It was a problem that they committed sexual immorality. It was a problem. Listen to me. And God is going to judge the Midianites and the Moabites, and he judged Zimri and Kozbi, and God became the enemy of his people and sent a plague and killed 24,000 of them, and the worst thing was not the sexual immorality. The worst thing was the idolatry. The worst thing was that the sexual immorality led them to turn and to yoke themselves to another God. 
The worst thing is to turn away from the living God because God is worthy and He makes covenant with His people. And so the most beautiful thing is by grace to walk in covenant with our God. Idolatry is the issue here. And so Paul says, we must, listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. That's 1 Corinthians 10.8. He's talking explicitly about Numbers 25. But his main point in that passage, his main point is flee from idolatry. And I say to you what he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He doesn't just say, flee from idolatry. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Hey, can I say a word to you this morning? I meant what I said when I said we must not indulge in sexual immorality. Would you seek help from God and from the church? Do you hear, did you hear that as a word of some type of final condemnation? You do need to own your sin. You do need to own your sin and repent before God. Before you and you alone have I sinned, David said. But the church is not a country club. It's a hospital. Would you seek help, dear friend? And the help that we're going to give begins with not therapeutic. It begins with, let's see God. And let's see the Bible. And let's begin with repentance. Let today be the day of salvation. Stop playing games. Number 10. Number 10. I've given you many quotes. One was from Mitch Chase a minute ago. Number 10. I'm giving you another one from one of my study Bibles. It's good news. That your family background does not determine, you know, how you how you're going to live. Our walk with God, listen, our walk with God is not predetermined by family background or sinful contexts. Every person is responsible for themselves. God dealt with these sinful nations. Revelation 2.14. Okay, here's a little nugget. Revelation 2.14. This all happened because Balaam couldn't curse the people of God, so he said, hey, Balak, here's what you need to do. You need to seduce the people of God. Hey, Balak, take your women and seduce them. And the men probably would love a wonderful meal. Right? It, it's the small things that kill us. Food's not bad. It's not bad to enjoy food. These men would love a great meal. Have the women come out and entice them and seduce them. Come to our pagan feasts. Come to our pagan feast. We'll spread the table and then we'll lay on the table. 
mountaintop. Only blessing. Valley. A royal mess. Our walk with God is not predetermined by family background or sinful context. Phineas is the grandson of Aaron. Aaron, at that one point in Exodus 32, got it all wrong. Very similar situation. Aaron's helping the people sin against God. Phineas takes spear in hand, goes into the tent, and does what he should do as an officer of the people of Israel. Can I tell you something? One thing we should learn is that zeal for God is a wonderful thing in its proper bounds. In its proper bounds, zeal for God is a wonderful... Learn from Phineas and learn from the Lord Jesus Christ to have zeal for God. Risk is not a bad thing when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have zeal for God. But let me tell you something else. You're not Jesus and you're not Phineas. We know that we're not Jesus, but Phineas was, uh, he was an officer of the people. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? I know I've said a lot. Stay with me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Well, Numbers 25, I'm going to go bomb the abortion clinic. No. Numbers 25, Phineas does what's right because he's a priest. Zeal for God is sorely lacking in the church today. It's there. We need more of it. But zeal outside of its proper bounds can actually be an ugly thing. Zeal in its proper bounds. And you're not Phineas and I'm not Phineas and we're not the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone cleansed the temple, lived a perfect life, died in the place of sinners, took the spear in His own body, died for all of God's people who will ever, is this you today, repent and believe in Him. Ten things about one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Ten things. I'll leave you with this. Let's do good again. Ian, do listen, and we're done. Sin is never a private thing. In our society, we have elevated privacy into a fundamental human right. And most people regard consenting sexual relationships between otherwise uncommitted adults either as normal and appropriate or at least as no one's business except those personally involved. Yet in this case, the sins of these particular individuals had ramifications for their whole families and indeed for the whole covenant community. Sin is never a private matter. Our sin affects other people directly and indirectly. You can read that quote and you can think, your mind, you, you could go easily to the LGBTQ movement and think about that. And that's against God's word. And we need to bring it closer to home. Your sin, my dear brother and sister, is never private. Oh, and by the way, 
Woe to the church. Woe to the elders and to the church that ever has repeated, unrepented of, flagrant sin in their midst and doesn't deal with it out of zeal and jealousy for the honor of the name of God. Jealousy for the honor of the name. Let's pray. Lord, we say thank you for the gospel. Thank you, O oh God, that you crushed and bruised your son. Lord, we could never have enough zeal. Paul had plenty of zeal in his earlier life, but he was dead wrong. Oh Lord, even our best zeal would be tainted with sin that would condemn us in hell for ages and ages and ages. And so we thank you for the gospel. We thank you again that you crushed, you bruised your son. Lord, you say vengeance is mine. You will deal with you will deal with your enemies and with our enemies. But Lord, we thank you that when we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Help us to remember that still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. Help us this new year not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Wake us up, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.